All right, good morning, everybody. My family abandoned me this morning for their beds. They're sleeping in. We had a 4th of July shindig. And uh, do you still use that term, shindig? It's probably not great. They are sleeping. I am sleeping. It was a great day yesterday. Um, wonderful to hear all the, you know, I know not everybody's on board with the fireworks thing because of their dogs and stuff like that and or whatever. But um, see, I have a lot of compassion for that. It's like, I don't know, <laughs> give them a sleeping pill or something. I don't know. Uh, but to listen to all that going on around me, you know, uh, all around our house and, and late into the night, it was, it was good. It's a good thing to hear people celebrate and uh, enjoy their freedom and liberty that we have. And um, just a tremendous day. I just love, it's probably my, one of my favorite holidays. Um, I think Christmas obviously is first, but this is good in Easter. Can't skip Easter. <clears throat> Third, greatest holiday. <coughs> I just love it. A um, couple announcements before we get into chapter 14 of Second Kings, and we're going to try to do 15. We'll see how far we get. Uh, tonight is prayer, corporate prayer from 7 to 8 p.m. If you can join us, we'll meet here in the sanctuary and begin praying around 7. Uh, next Saturday, 8 to noon, we're having a work day out here. Miscellaneous things, a lot of cleanup. Um, just like to get the place in order. Uh, a lot of things need to be put away. Some things need to be put up in the in the garage over there. Some tree trimming, whatever. Um, inside stuff too. So if you're if you're not interested in being in the heat, we've got plenty to do inside as well. So if you want to join us for that next Saturday, eight to noon, we're having a work day, and then A and G's is going to uh, cater our lunch for us for free. So that was nice of them. So um, now don't show up at eleven thirty nine. I'm not I'm not like God and give you the same kind of payment that the other guy. I, it's it. You get an appetizer and that's it. If you show up at eight, we'll feed you. Now, the next Sunday, or next Sunday, uh, after uh, Saturday the workday, next Sunday, well, we have rented the pool at, here in Maryville for a baptism and swimming time. That starts at 7 p.m. and goes till 9 p.m. It's all ours, and um, we'll do the baptisms first, and then we'll just hang out and have fun and uh, uh, enjoy ourselves. If you want to, you're welcome to bring some food if you want to, but you don't have to, just whatever. Join us for that. July 17th and 18th is our garage sale, and all the proceeds are going to the meals that are currently going on at A&G's for our first responders. Um, had to clarify what first responder meant, <laughs> uh, yeah, for us anyway. A lot of people thought they were first responders, and well, I didn't realize there were 5,000 first responders in Nottaway County, basically. I was like, no, no, no. So we had to do law enforcement, ambulance, and, um, and uh, fire, and that's it. We can't do everybody. So that's going on right now. It's going well. So far, we've had, uh, let's see, it started Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I've paid for two of the days so far. Gulp. But it's being used right. It's wonderful. The people are blessed, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. So the garage sale, 17th and 18th, all the proceeds from that will go to cover whatever total there is uh, of this meal that we're doing for the first responders. You can drop things off the 16th, maybe sooner. We have only limited space to hold stuff. Wednesday night we have service, and so we hate to have this place all filled with garage sale stuff. So if you can wait, great. I understand if you can't. Um, we've got some room over in the garage over there. Uh, we just don't want to move it twice if we don't have to. So anyway, 16th, you can drop stuff off all day long. 
That's a Thursday. And then finally, camp, August 5th through the 8th. Sign-up sheets are out there if you want to participate by helping us minister to the kids. There's a sign-up sheet for volunteers, but then also there's also the registration forms for the kids as well if you want to if you want to do that and get your kids signed up or grandkids or whoever. Um, so that's what's going on. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for these two chapters in 2 Kings. We'll see how far we get. Lord, it'll be up to you. We pray that you'd be our teacher. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd move and that your word, which is your sword, would uh, be a blessing to us, change us, convict us, encourage us. Um, we know that you're our counselor. And every time we open your word and we open ourselves up to your Holy Spirit, we receive exactly what you have for us. And so God, help us to receive it with uh, gladness because we know the person that receives it with gladness is blessed. That's what your word says. And so we want to believe you. We're, we're, we're ready ahead of time to accept everything you have for us. And these kings, Lord, as we watch these men uh, that you raise up and put down, um, you summarize their life in a couple sentences, Lord. Help us to see uh, what you want us to see today. In Jesus' name, amen. We go through several kings toggling between the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms. These are a difficult two chapters to teach, mainly because there's not a lot of big events. This is one of those transitional chapters that just kind of duh, 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 goes through it. And I told Jenny, I said, oh, this is going to be a wonderful. Everybody's tired. I'm going to have a, you know, if I don't, you know, I, I know it's the Lord, but there's kind of a little bit on me here. If I don't, I don't want y'all snoring. So if I see you snoring, I understand. Okay. These chapters are a little hard because there's a lot of names and there's a lot of things going on here, but I'll do my best to hit the high points, especially in chapter 15. 15, we're not going to read through the whole thing. I want to give you the high points for a reason. There's a reason for it. So chapter 14 begins in the second year of Josiah, or Joash, excuse me. Let's see, I've already got the names wrong. And the son of uh, Jehoahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. So this is Amaziah's reign is what we're going to be talking about for most of this chapter, all the way up to verse 22. It's Amaziah, king of Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadan, or Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yay! Yet, not like his father David, he did everything as his father Joash had done. However, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places." What we gather from this and the way God describes it in this chapter is that he was walking with the Lord, but didn't necessarily put that on the entire nation of Israel. He had a good relationship, um, but not like David to the point where David ruled like it was a theocracy, like we are going to worship the true and living God. And that's all we're going to do here. We're going to get rid of all of that stuff that distracts us all those other forms of worship that aren't to the true and living God. David understood that. And so did many other kings. They understood that we have to worship the true and living God in order to be blessed. Can't have a divided heart. It doesn't work that way. Our relationship with God, if it is a relationship with God and not a religion, depends on our hearts being completely his. And the way God describes this king, this young king, 25 years old, describes him as a divided heart. I'm not so sure, you know. I didn't take away the high places. I, I wasn't like David. I was more like my father, Joash. He, my dad went this far in his walk, 
and that's how far I'm going to go. And unfortunately, that's the case for many Christians as well. We walk with the Lord the best we can, and some of the kids say, well, Dad, and they use the compromise of their father or their parents as an excuse for them to compromise as well. Or, on the other hand, some look at the fathers and the mothers that raised them as they walked sort of with the Lord and went a step further, and that's a good thing, and you always want to do that. You always want to do better than your parents did when they walked with the Lord. Um, it's not to disparage them or to say that they didn't. They did better, hopefully, than their parents. But there should be this jumping off of the shoulders of those who raised you, in my opinion. I think you should walk as close to God as, as you can. And it's your responsibility. Can't blame everybody else. Can't blame the way you were raised or the, or the religion that you grew up in. We're responsible for how we walk with the Lord. And so he's responsible. I didn't go as far as David, and he knew all about David. I went as far as Joash, and that's as far as I went. Almost all the way. And that's how God summarizes his life. Just a few sentences. I, I have micromanaged my life. I'm living it. We all do. You know, how was yesterday? What's tomorrow going to be like? We're summarizing a 29-year, or let's see, how long, 29-year reign in a few sentences. Now, we'll get some stories from him for sure. But God says, this is what I saw in, in his life. He kind of went almost all the way. The end, you know. When I walk into heaven, I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. There's really only a couple things we're going to hear, you know. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want to be that. That's that interesting. JC prayed that. I don't know if you even thought about that or read the chapters ahead of time, but he's like, I, 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 want to, I want to be known not for what I do, but for how I worshiped you, you know? And that's how God looks at all these kings. Not uh, whether they got the streets paved or the potholes filled in ancient times, you know? Did they raise the low places and lower the high places? Did they, did they get good infrastructure? Did, how, none, of that, none of that's mentioned. It was, how did you worship the Lord? That's all that matters. Now, verse 5, it happened as soon as the kingdom was established in his hand, that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. I can understand that. He brings justice, and it's the right thing to do. But the children of the murderers, these men, had obviously offspring. He did not execute. According to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, in which the Lord commanded, saying, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall be put to death for his own sin. The king although could be full of vengeance, and David even had those moments where he was full of vengeance and went beyond what the law told him to do. Remember the prophet telling him, suppose the, you know, the poor man and his sheep, and you know the story, and if you don't, you can look it up. And David says, that man that killed that poor man's sheep, even though he had plenty of sheep, he ought to die. But that's not what the law says. The law says you restore fourfold, and that's it. That's the maximum penalty for that crime. But David didn't want to be ruled by law. He wanted to be ruled by his emotions and his feelings, and he went beyond, and it caught him, and it busted him. And the prophet looked at him and said, David, you're the man. You're the man. This king, on the other hand, takes care and does justice according to the law, follows the law, does it, doesn't go beyond. He followed it. Everybody's like, well, you better take out his kids too because they're going to come after you. 
these murderers, these conspirators, as they took out your dad, their kids are going to see you wipe out their parents and they're going to come after you. Better, better handle that. And that's kind of how you did these things. You kind of wiped out all your adversaries and you lived in a perpetual state of paranoia. Am I going to wake up tomorrow morning or is there somebody going to sneak into my, it was a terrible time, you know, no safety, no security. He says, no, I'm going to follow the law. I'm going to do what's right. I'm not going to make somebody else pay for other people's sins. Very important. In verse 7, he killed 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt and took Salah by war and called its name Jokthiel to this day. Now that city, Jokthiel, is uh, that rock city Petra. We've talked about it a couple times throughout Scripture. Look it up. It's in, it's in Jordan, the country of Jordan, and it's carved out of rock. It's really only one way in through a narrow passage, and a lot of people believe that that's going to be uh, a, a refuge for the nation of Israel during the Great Tribulation time at one point. We don't know, but it's a really cool city to look up. And if you could ever visit that place, that would be amazing. I think it'd be just a sight to see. Uh, amazing. Now, this chapter seven, or this verse seven comes out of nowhere. I've got this thing, and he killed 10,000 Edomites. Wait, what? What happened here? Did he just feel like the Edomites used to be under their control? In other words, they would be servants. They would have to bring tribute. Well, they had fought back, they had won, and they've got their independence and their freedom. Uh, And so he says, no, no, we're not going to let that happen. And so he goes after them, uh, this 25-year-old king, and says, no, we're bringing them back under uh, some authority. Now, we'll come back to this, okay, to elaborate on this Edomite war. Verse 8, then Amaziah or Amaziah, excuse me, Amaziah, Amaziah sent messengers to Johash, or Jehoahash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, come, let us face one another in battle. He's feeling a little, you know, who got the Edomites beat, but let's keep going, you know. Anybody else got anything to say? Come, let us face one another in battle. And Jehoahash, the king of Israel, sent to uh, Amaziah, the king of Judah, saying, the thistle that was in Lebanon sent to, to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, give your daughter to my son as wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. You have indeed defeated Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. Glory in that and stay at home. For why should you meddle with trouble so that you fall, you and Judah with you? You know, so that was his response. Poet, you know, he he was excited about his own voice at that. You know, it's like, okay, write this down, write this down, send this back to him, you know. Tell him, it's like, you're like a little thistle and you're coming up to this giant cedar and you better watch out because you're going to get stomped is what he's getting at. You best just take your victory and run with it lest you come here and spoil the whole thing. You know, I don't want to have to crush you, you little twerp, is what he's saying to him. Don't meddle. Now, how did he get lifted up in pride? If you'll turn in your Bibles uh, to, let's see, Second Chronicles 25, we get a lot more detail about this Edomite thing, okay? And why there's this animosity. And we'll begin in verse 5. Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 5. Same, almost same. Sometimes the Chronicles just elaborate on kings, and that's why when we go through Chronicles, there's so much, it's so redundant. We're going to hear a lot of the same stories. But this actually gives us some really good insight as to what happened there in verse 7. 
He says this, Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands, captains of hundreds, according to their their father's houses, throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war. So he becomes king, finds out, how big's our army anyway? And this is how he finds out. Who could handle the spear? And a shield. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel, the guy that, the, the, the Lebanon guy, the Cedars guy, okay? He hired 100,000 men from him, mighty men of valor from Israel, for 100 talents of silver, okay? Not a lot of money, but, it, you know, we got some mercenaries out of the deal. But a man of God came to him. So there's this man of God, a prophet. O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone. Be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help to, and, and, to, help and to overthrow. In other words, I, I, I really don't think you're supposed to take those guys. God really doesn't want you to bring, go do it by yourself, but don't take those guys you hired. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall I do about the hundred talents which I had given to the troops of Israel? Can't ask for a refund. You know, how do I do that? I mean, these are choice men of battle, you know. Can we have your paycheck back? No. All right. So what do I do about that? Now look at this. What do you do when you make a financial error, when you make a huge blunder? I, I don't mean to springboard here, but I take note of this stuff. As I go through things in my life, please hear me in this. No matter what Bible story I'm reading, no matter where I am in Scripture, God speaks to me. I get counsel from God's Word. And so I open up the Bible and I'm studying. All of a sudden, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I think I've made a bad decision. Uh, What do I do about this? And all of a sudden, imagine that you've had a financial blunder. You've given money away to somebody. You, You don't think you should have bought that house or you bought that car. You're not sure you should be. Whatever it is. What do I do about this? And then you start reading this or some preacher starts preaching about it on a Sunday morning and you didn't know he was going to be there. He starts telling you what to do. God does. What should I do about the hundred talents that I already gave the soldiers, even though I'm not supposed to be here? It's a mistake I made. The man of God answered, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. So, Amaziah discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home. Let it go, he says. Now, see, I pick up on stuff like that. I don't know if that even ministers to anybody today. Maybe it doesn't. But the point of this is, anytime I'm in God's word, I receive something from him. And I get answers. And that's how I hope everybody has their walk with Jesus. That's the way it works. That's how it's supposed to be. That's what his word tells us. I'm your counselor. Come, open it up. Let's sit there. Let's reason together. I don't mean to make it a big deal, but I get blessed by that stuff. So it's, so it's okay to be wronged or it's okay not to get that hundred back and all that. No, just let it go. You'd be better off letting it go. Now you shouldn't let it sting a little, you know, That still stings the national coffers there. A hundred talents of silver is nothing to sneeze at. And yet it's better than following through on your plan for the sake of the hundred talents. Just do what God wants you to do from here on out. It's always better to get back on board with God's plan than to continue on with your plan to completion. If God wants you to make a U-turn or a change, man, change. Turn around. So 
We're getting some background here as to why these two are... Pro so he's, these 100,000 troops go back, and, I'm, and they're furious. I don't know why they're mad. They got a paycheck, and they didn't have to do anything for it. But they're bloodthirsty guys. Like, man, I want to go... I mean, I was ready. Yeah. I was doing 400 push-ups a day. I was ready to go. Nope, go home. We don't need you. They were mad. Then Amaziah strengthened himself and leading his people. He went to the Valley of Salt and killed 10,000 of the people of Seir. Also, uh, the children of Israel took captive 10,000 alive, brought them to the top of the rock and cast them down from the top of the rock so that they were dashed to pieces. But as for the soldiers of the army which Amaziah had discharged so that they would not go with him to battle, they raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Haran, killed 3,000 of them, and took much spoil. Well, this helps us understand verse 7 a little bit, doesn't it? I went and killed a bunch of people in Edom, and then I picked a fight with, with Israel. Well, now you know why. You guys go home. We don't need you. Oh, we're going to fight. We're going to fight somebody. If we're not fighting with you, we're going to fight you. You know, and so they began to pick on Judah while they were gone doing the battle they were supposed to do. So now it was after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the people of Seir, set them up to be his gods and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. Oops. And God steps in and watches this. He says, therefore, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah and he sent him a prophet who said to him, why have you sought the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people from your hand? Why are you worshiping the gods that I just beat up with you? Why are they better than me? There must have been something appealing. Nobody does that because they just feel like collecting gods. There must have been something more appealing about these gods. Letting the, and This is the appeal of every false god. That false God will let you do what you want to do. Those false gods that we choose to worship in our lives will allow us to sin. Whereas that holy righteous God is always telling us what we can't do, and I want to do it. Here's a God I found over here. I was watching them, and they were worshiping. I was like, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of God I could get on board with, you know. A God who does this, a God who approves that. And boy, we have to be careful in Christianity that we don't make him out to be our God, someone that he's not. Oh, he doesn't care about that stuff. He doesn't care about that. That's cultural back then. That doesn't matter back. Oh, this is different now. Everything. Well, I can get on board with that church. That church doesn't care about this sin or that sin or the other sin. They shouldn't. It's, it's okay. And they begin to fall into this trap of compromise. So he began to worship these gods. And God says, why are you worshiping these gods we just beat? So it was, as he talked with him, that the king said to him, Have we made you king and counselor cease? Why should you be killed? So this is that prophet telling him what God's telling, and they finally shut him up and say, You know what? Keep talking, and you're going to die. I don't want to die. And the prophet ceased and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this, and have not heeded my advice. Bye. You know, look, I'm just here to tell you. You can be mad at me if you want to. You can threaten me, but you're killing the messenger. Or, you know, I'm just carrying the message. The, the messenger, you're killing the message carrier, not the guy who said it, you know. And so often we get confused. And I don't know if we're like this prophet or not. I don't, I don't know that we are. But we can have those moments where it's like, you know what? I'd just rather not say because I know how it's going to be received. 
I mean, do I really have to go tell them? Do I really have to let them know how you're mad at them? Do I really have to let them know that what they're doing is sin? Or can I just let it go? There's a scripture in Proverbs 26, 17 that I toggle with sometimes. There's sometimes I like to use it and there's other times I don't like to use it. And it's 100% right all the time. But I, applying it's a difficulty for me. It says this, he who passes by and meddles in a, in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. It's a good proverb. You know, you're hearing two people argue and you say, hey, hey, what are you guys arguing about? And they both turn on you and start to be, say, okay, well, I don't even know why I stopped kind of thing. But then he goes on to say later on, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. I mean, there, there is a point where as Christians, we step in and we try to help. There's also a lot of damage that can be done to us in the process. And sometimes I like to pull this verse out and say, I'm not getting involved in this. You guys can just have at it. I mean, I'm not so sure I care who wins this fight, you know? And that's a failure on my part. I know what we're called to do. I know what I'm, I'm to be an ambassador. I know, uh, I know. But what about this proverb, you know? What do you do when, I think it means something else, obviously. I don't think it can be applied the way I'm applying it a lot of times in my life. I think people, some people, like to meddle. I think that's what he's getting at. You know, you're kind of a meddler. You stick your nose where it doesn't belong. This is between a wife and a husband, or this is between this person and that person, and they need to work this stuff out on their own. But you come in and you begin to pick sides or maybe stoke the fire. And it's like taking a dog by the ears. You're going to get bit and, and you need to be careful about that. So I think it's more of a lesson that way. So really got to be led by the Holy Spirit as to when to step in and when to not step in. So that being said, that's where we come up with this verse 7. Now let's get back to chapter 14 and get through this. But that's why he's picking a fight with Israel. You came in while we were battling and you were mad at us. You began to pick a fight with us. So I'm, I'm here to pick a fight with you now. I beat Edom. But he's already been told that God is not on board with this. I don't want you to do this. And we read that in Chronicles there. But he's going to go ahead and do it anyway. But Amaziah would not heed. He got a warning from God and he got a warning from the other king. You do not want anything to do with us. Therefore, Jehoahash, king of Israel, went out. So he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel. And every man fled to his tent. Then Jehoahash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoahash, the son of Ahaziah, or, yeah, and, and Beth Shemesh. And he went to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate. So it's about 200 yards of open. The city's been opened up. That's hard to defend when you got that big of a gap. And so he goes in and he took all the gold, the silver, all the articles that were found in the house of the Lord and in the treasury of the king's house and hostages and returned to Samaria. Now, he could have utterly defeated them, obviously. When you start walking all over someone's big city like that, you, you basically got it. This is more of a spanking than anything. I'm going to break your wall down. I'm going to come in and take your stuff because I got to pay for this. And I'm going to take some of your people with me too. A little sting. Don't mess with the cedars. Up here is what he's getting at. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoahash, 
or Jehoash, which he did, his might and how he fought with Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehoash rested with his fathers, and he was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Then Jeroboam, his son, reigned in his place. Okay. Amaziah, the son of Jehoash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, the king of Israel. So he's still alive, got captured, and he's still there. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, are they not written in the book, the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And they formed a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem. So this is his demise. This is how he goes down. And so there's this big conspiracy. They're going to assassinate him. And he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. No, 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 no. It's not good enough to run away. We're going to chase you down. Then they brought him on horses, and he was buried at Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. And all the people of Judah took Azariah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. I mean, it's weird, right? I mean, can you imagine being the 16-year-old son of these guys? Conspirators just assassinated their dad, chased him out, and they said, now we want you to be king. I'm pretty sure I'll pass on that, you know. Um, but he does it, or, or you're a 16 year old kid thinking, I never really like my dad anyway, you know, and I get to be king and I get all this, 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 yeah, I'll take it. Anyway, he's king. What they wanted was someone they could control. Obviously we're, we're, we're tired of having somebody lead us. So we're going to lead through a puppet basically. And so they grabbed the 16 year old boy is going to be too busy doing other things, obviously. And, and they're going to, they're going to rule the kingdom the way they want to. He built uh, Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Now, Jeroboam II, reign of Israel. Now, we're moving on. Remember, he just mentioned that. Jeroboam's the king. So that's what happened in Judah, going, going back to Israel. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. Just letting that settle in because we live in a country that does not compute. Well, wait. <laughs> We've got some senators that have been around for 41 years, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, but as far as a, a, a you know, president or something, this is like 10, 10 times being elected. You know, same guy. I, have you, Putin, have you seen what's going on with Putin? He, he's changing the rules so he can be, he can be the, the leader over there for like another 25 years or something like that. And they're like, all the people are like, I don't think that's a good idea. You know, I don't know. I don't have a Russian accent. <laughs> but they're like, what are you going to do? He's ex-KGB. You know, he wants to rule for a little bit longer. We're going to load him, I guess. How are you going to? Fair elections. Yeah. You know. That's not happening. 41 years, this guy's a king. And here's the clincher, verse 24, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. We can't stand eight years of somebody doing evil in the sight of the Lord around here. Can you imagine saying for 41 years, we're just going to be stuck in this rut of not doing what's right in the sight of the Lord. And you're one of those people, maybe, because there's always a remnant sitting there worshiping God, doing what they're supposed to do, loving the Lord, but can't do it publicly because we know that the, uh, the, the current climate for that is just not accepted. And so you're kind of underground worshiping the Lord and do what you need to do because it's the right thing to do. He did evil in the sight of the Lord for 41 years, and he did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, 
who had made Israel sin. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah. That's the prophet Jonah. Okay, showing up here. Um, the son of uh, Amittai. And I don't know that, how that's pronounced, but uh, the prophet who was from Gath, um, Hafir. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and, uh, and whether bond or free, there was no help for Israel. And the Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Still used him, you know. Still some grace and mercy there. Just, I, I can't stand it. And so he spoke to Jonah. Now, Jonah was all on board with this. He loved his people, and he was a prophet. We've read that. And we know that from him, that he would go from town to town and be that prophet and speak. And we know, but we don't see here is what Nineveh, the Nineveh story, you know, um, all about how he was reluctant to go to those heathens and tell them to repent. Um, 41 years this guy did evil in the sight of the Lord, even though he had Jonah the prophet ministering to him constantly, always traveling through Israel, telling the one time Jonah gets a mission to step outside of his normal ministry circle was to go to Nineveh, and he had one message. It was very simple, 40 days until judgment. He didn't tell them what they should do, that there was any hope. He doesn't tell them how to get out of this judgment. He just says, 40 days till judgment. Walked through the town saying that and then sat on a hill and waited for fire and brimstone. That's what did. There's a whole other story along with that. But And they repented. All of Nineveh repents. Doesn't take much. Sometimes I think I need a lot of words or I need a lot of conversations with people. We need to have a series of events. We need to establish communication. We need to have many, many for them to get saved. It's the heart of the person. It's either good soil or it's bad soil. They're either ready or they're not ready. I'm not saying that Jonah should have just gone his whole life saying 40 days till judgment to everybody. But when God wants to do a work and people are ready for God to do a work, all he had to do was mention, by the way, you're all going to die in 40 days. And they all say, well, even if that's the case, we want to do whatever we can do until that time to get right with God. Interesting. The people of Israel who have a permanent relationship with God, a God who shows them grace and mercy, even when they're in complete rebellion against them, and he steps in and protects them, will not repent. But a heathen nation who knows nothing about this God sees this prophet come in with a few words, 40 days till judgment, and the entire city ends up in sackcloth and ashes. And they change. Hmm. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did, his might, how he made war, and how he uh, recaptured for Israel from Damascus and Hamath what had belonged to Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Jeroboam rested with his fathers. This is Jeroboam II. And the kings of Israel. Then Zechariah, his son, reigned in his place. Now, quickly, 15. And I want you to be like, oh. I know. Azariah reigns in Judah, so we move on. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of uh, Amaziah, king of Judah, became king, and he was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. 
His mother's name was uh, Jechaliah of Jerusalem. Um, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. So that's nice. You know, 41 years of somebody doing what's not right, and then another 52 years. I mean, there's some people that would live their entire adult lives under one of these two rules, you know. They didn't live very long. There weren't a bunch of old people around. A lot of them die by the time they're 30 or 40 years old. And so when you're talking 42 years or 41 years and 52 years, they would know nothing else other than that and stories from the past. So he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done, except, there's always an except, that the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Then the Lord struck the king so that he was a leper until the day of his death. So he dwelt in an isolated house. And Jotham, the king's son, was over the royal house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts and so on are are written. And that's what I mean by we're going to go. 16 years old, rules for 52 years, does what's right in the sight of the Lord, becomes a leper. And that's his obituary. That's it. You know? I want to live my life up until the point it says in verse four, except, you know, I I don't know that I I have. I probably already have the except in there, you know, as far as the Lord goes, but I receive Christ as my Lord and savior. I'm a born again believer. My salvation is in him. My righteousness is his righteousness imputed to me. I know I have all that. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, you know, and even though that's all there, I still want to walk with him. I want to have that kind of legacy. I want people to look back on my life and say, he served the Lord. He loved God, you know, not he loved God. Well, except, you know, Zechariah reigns in Israel, verse eight, and he reigns for six months. It says, we don't know anything about him except that uh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord for six months. And that's it. And then there was a conspiracy um, and they, and they, and they struck him and they killed him. And then uh, the next guy reigns, you know. Um, but that's the end. This is Zechariah is the end of that. Second Kings chapter 10, verse 30, where he said you're going to have four generations on the throne. This is it. This is the end of that right here. Um, Shalem, verse 13, the son of Jabesh became king in the 39th year of Uzziah, the king of Judah. And he reigned a full month in Samaria. Yeah. Interesting. For uh, the son of Gad, I went up from uh, Tirzah, Samaria, and he struck him and killed him and reigned in his place. So that didn't last long. Um, And then the rest of the acts of Shalem, I can't imagine how long that would be. You know, on Friday he did this, on Saturday he was dead. I don't know how, pretty short book. Menahem reigned in Israel. He reigns. And he's the son of Gadai became king over Israel and reigned 10 years in Samaria, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Then king of Assyria came against him um, and uh, said, I want you to give me ten th- or a thousand talents of silver. He gives it to him and takes the money from the richest of the rich to pay this guy off, 50 shekels from each of the rich guys, and then Samaria or Assyria left him alone. So he, he avoided that, and that's what, that's what he was known for, <laughs> a tax on the rich, a job. You know, That was his thing. Um, to pay off ransom. Verse 23, the 15th year of Azariah, king of Judah, the son of uh, Menahem, the uh, Pekahiah, I don't know, became king over Israel. He reigned two years 
And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam and so on. Then Pekah, his son of Ramalia, an officer of his son, conspired against him and killed him. So he's not even in the line. Some officer decides to do a military coup against this guy and takes over. Pekah reigned in Israel, verse 27, in the 52nd year of Azariah. He reigned 20 years and he did evil in the sight of the Lord as well. Um, And in the process of that, Many of them were carried captive into Assyria. Um, God was judging them, kind of pulling them out of there. And now the rest of the acts of Pekah and all that he did, indeed, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. Now Jotham reigned uh, the second year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel. Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Gives us his mother's name. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. However, there's always that. The high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. Did a little bit of construction. Served God a little bit. Pretty good guy, pretty much, except for those other things. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah in those days and so on? And that's how we finish up today. Boy, life is short, is the point. When it comes to these guys getting an honorable mention in the scriptures, we get a couple paragraphs about each of them. My life will be far less than that. You know, these are kings of countries, and they get a few paragraphs that describes their character, the way they ruled, the way they conducted themselves, how long, you know, God used them or whatever. In a way, that's a good thing. It's a little disconcerting in other ways, you know. Sometimes I think we think our lives aren't a vapor, even though Scripture tells us that they are a vapor. That we've got more time, that I can straighten things out, that I can make that right. There's some things that just, there's some things that later obedience can't fix former disobedience. That stuff's planted. That stuff bears fruit. That stuff's going to come back. We can stop planting those seeds. We can stop walking on that path of death and start walking on the path of life. But those things are planted. We just got to stop planting them. And as I read these short little obituaries about these guys, I realize it is It is a daily, constant planting of good seed. It is a relentless, persevering. I mean, when when you read in the New Testament, uh, patience and perseverance and all these hard words, it's not just about the trial. That, that, That trial that comes my way, I need to persevere through that trial. That's part of it. I need to persevere doing good, planting good seed, walking this walk of life all the way till I die. I need to persevere each and every day I wake up. It may be a battle some days. We went to Okoboji, I've told you this, and had a great vacation. And man, all through this shutdown and all the way through the open, man, I was walking and exercising and doing my thing. And every day I was eating right and I felt great. Hardly any carbs because it's, I don't know what it is. I'm not saying you shouldn't eat carbs. It just knocks me flat. Went on vacation. 
get back to walking when I get off vacation. You know how, you know the drill. It's constant. And I felt horrible. Even though I indulged in the carbs, I did all these things. I woke up. I'm like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to go on the boat. I don't want to rent a boat. I don't want to go do fun. I want to stay inside and watch TV or something, you know? I'm like, what is wrong with me? Where'd the motivation go? Where'd this, got to persevere. Got to keep going. I get back. I have like zero energy. I went for a walk yesterday. I usually walk six miles, seven miles. Yeah, you know, two miles. My app shut down that was tracking my miles. I just walked to my car. I mean, what was I going to do? Start the app again? You know? Funny, dumb, pointless, maybe. But my walk with Jesus, sometimes those mornings I wake up, I'm not as excited to be on fire for Jesus as I am other days. And those days are the days that are the persevering days. So what? You get up and do it anyway. You serve the Lord. You love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you walk with God that day. And you don't do the things that your flesh wants you to do. And you say no, even though you feel like you said no all day long to your flesh. You're not pretty sure that you didn't do anything for God that day. It's a persevering, constant walk all the way till we die. And, and I say that because it's sobering, I think, sometimes for us. We don't all have mountaintop, 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 mountaintop. There's a reason he wrote that, Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. But he didn't climb out of the valley. He didn't sit on top of mountains. He, it wasn't the wrong place to be. It was just where he was. I'm in the valley of death. This is my place right now. This is where I'm walking, but I'm walking with God and I'm okay. But it's still dark. It's still a valley of death, but I'm still walking. Keep walking. Be encouraged to keep walking. Some of you are on mountaintops like, man, I don't want to hear that. Some of you are in valleys. And you're like, oh, amen, man. I wasn't going to do anything, you know. Keep walking with the Lord. Persevere. Persevere. The world needs to see not us on mountaintops. He needs, they need to see us walking with the Lord in the valley of death. Because that's where they are all the time. And they don't have the Lord with them. And they're scared and they're fearful and they don't know what to do. And so they're looking around, bewildered. What do I do? What do, your family's looking at you. Your kids are looking at you. Your coworkers. Everybody's looking at the Christians saying, how are they handling this valley of death? Well, I don't know that I'm that motivated today, but I'm walking with the Lord and I'm encouraged. Because as I sing praises about God and I read the last, book of, last chapter of Revelation, I know how it all ends and it is a valley of death. But you know what? We win in the end and we walk with the Lord and all this pain and suffering that I focus on each and every day will be erased and gone and will never happen again. No more tears, no more suffering. And that's why I walk through the valley of death. To get there, that's my goal. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for um, documenting all these men's lives. Some of the stories that went around them. And as we read them, we know they're written for our admonition, but a lot of times it's difficult for us to apply. Uh, would you help us with that, Lord? Help us to apply your word to our lives, to understand why it is we read these two chapters today and not another two. Why aren't we in the New Testament? Why aren't we reading John or Romans or Corinthians or something that tells us what to do? But we're reading about these guys and their history. 
Would you apply it? Would you help us to hold on to it? And would you help us to see how it works this week? Why your word works. Every time we receive something from your word, you're preparing us with your word for something that's coming up. So God, help us, Lord, to hold this in our hearts, to receive it with gladness. Don't let this word bounce off the hard soil of our hearts, but I pray that it would bury itself deep, deep, deep down, that it would get watered, that the roots would establish themselves in our lives as we apply this, and that there would be fruit from it. Thank you for these folks. Bless them as they go today, Lord. Help them to enjoy themselves and be encouraged by you, Lord, to give that to, to receive that peace that surpasses understanding that can only come from you. Nobody else can give that, only you. Thank you for that peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.